Thank you, Mon, for reading the Bible for us. Hi, everyone. My name is Jason. I'm one of the ministry apprentices here at Grace Point. Uh, normally, I'm at the Lickham campus, uh, but today I've come uh, to bring God's word to you guys today. What a great privilege it is. Uh, and before we begin, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come now to hear from your word. Open our eyes that we may see the riches of your word. But most importantly, open our eyes to see Jesus, who he is, his great love for us, and his willingness to die for sinners like us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Was there ever a time when you knew someone was going to fail you? I could remember when I was a kid, I would go to the arcades with my parents, and I liked to play the, you know, the rainbow coin toss game. Uh, you know, when you throw a coin and hoping you'll land between the lines of a rainbow. And my dad knew I wasn't good at it, and yet he still forked out quite a bit of money uh, just so that I can literally toss those coins away. <laughs> and he did it because he knew I would enjoy playing the game. And now, that's a very small example of me failing my dad. Uh, and that's nothing compared to what we're about to see. I'm sure the parents here can echo with their kids, perhaps literally or not literally, throwing money away. But in Mark 14, we will see something similar in the life of Jesus. He knew. He knew what was going to happen. He knew his disciples were going to let him down, and yet he still loved them. For Mark 14, if we can understand how much Jesus loves us, how much he sacrificed for us, then we'll surely know how much our sin cost him, and our thankfulness for the cross will surely grow. So as we look at Mark 14, today's sermon will have three points. Firstly, our Savior knew. Secondly, our Savior knew our sins. And lastly, our Savior died for our sins. Our Savior knew, our Savior knew our sins, and our Savior died for our sins. And as we hear from God's word today, I hope and pray that the Holy Spirit will convict you of this truth, that Jesus knew you were going to fail him, but that's why he came to die. When our point one, our Savior knew. Firstly, I want to start with some important context. Uh, We didn't read this in the Bible reading, but Mark chapter 14 actually starts with the plot to arrest Jesus and the anointing at Bethany. And this chapter marks the beginning of the passion narrative, Jesus' death and resurrection, the very center of the gospel. And one thing to note about this chapter is that unlike the previous chapters in Mark, the passion narrative is one continuous narrative from beginning to end. One continuous narrative. And this is significant because the passion narrative together makes one big point, And that is, Jesus died for our sins. And as we dive into the narrative, Mark makes it abundantly clear for us that Jesus died for our sins. Let us take a tour through Mark 14. Mark 14 is an action-packed chapter. There are so many significant events that happen one after the other. But we're not going to look closely at all of them, but reading through this chapter, I do notice one continuing thread. 
And the one continuing thread that I see is that all of Jesus' predictions come true. All of Jesus' predictions come true. Let's take a look at some of them, shall we? We'll look at verse 12. Verse 12. And the disciples are asking, where does Jesus want to eat the Passover? And Jesus goes on to tell them where and how. And Jesus is very, very precise here. And we read in verse 16, the disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. Jesus' prediction came true. That's the first one. We now come to the second one. Now, during the Passover, Jesus predicted his betrayal. We read in verse 18, verse 18. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And later in the chapter, we see this come true. Judas comes to betray Jesus. And more than that, at the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus knew the exact moment Judas would come. Jesus said in verse 41, The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. Jesus' prediction came true. But that's not all that Jesus predicted. Let's zoom in on the disciples and Peter in particular. Because another thread that is consistent in Mark 14 is how unfaithful the disciples are to Jesus. Jesus predicted how unfaithful his disciples will be, and that's exactly what happened. Jesus knew they would be unfaithful to him. Jesus said in verse 27, You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus makes it so clear to all his disciples, you will all fall away. And now, church, imagine if you were one of them. You'll be, probably be so surprised. Wait, what, Jesus? We will all fall away? We left everything to follow you. We saw you heal the sick. We saw you cast out demons. We even saw you raise the dead. How can we fall away? And Peter, he seems to represent what the disciples were thinking at the time. But this time, he is spe- not speaking on their behalf. He is actually speaking for himself. In verse 29, verse 29, Peter declared, Even if all fall away, I will not. But the most confident disciple will soon be confronted with the greatest humiliation. In verse 30, Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, Today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. And at this point, if Peter remembered what had just happened and what Jesus has been doing throughout Mark so far, shouldn't he be scared right now? Remember, everything Jesus says comes true. But no, Peter's confidence is through the roof. Verse 31, Peter insisted emphatically, but even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. 
And all the others said the same. Peter's claim was loud as thunder, but he will soon realize that it will disappear just as fast as lightning. And church, we can echo with the disciples, can't we? We also make claims to follow Jesus with our whole lives. For those of us who have become Christians for a while, we will remember the great zeal we had at the start. We were ready to do anything for Jesus. And this passage serves as a great reminder that no matter how zealous you are, you are still fallible. You are still only human. This is not only a matter of how even the holiest Christian is still prone to sin. This is an aspect of fallenness and sin that plagues every human being. Because of the fall, none of us can be trusted. We can't be trusted because of many reasons. One is because we can't control the circumstances around us. Think about it. Sometimes we make promises, but we fail to keep them because accidents happen, because we are not in control. Or sometimes we can't be trusted because we are plagued by our own selfish desires and our fear of others. We see this in Peter. We see this in ourselves, in the way we repeatedly fail the people around us, when we falter on promises because we're selfish, because we fear others. Think about the times you have shut your mouth at work, for fear of people. Or the many times you have turned the other way for fear of standing out. This is a problem with all of us. No one is trustworthy. And so as a result, our world is an unlivable place with no certainty or no guarantees. Just look at Peter, the first of the apostles. Out of everyone, you would expect him to be the most faithful disciple. But not even Peter. The same Peter who saw all the miracles Jesus did, who confessed Jesus as the Christ, who went up the Mount of Transfiguration, not even he can be trusted. And this should humble us to the dust. And that's why we should never fully trust in any preacher who says, when you trust in Jesus, you will live in victory. You will never sin again. Because if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you will know that's just not true. Yes, Romans 6 does say we have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Our old self has died with Christ. We are no longer slaves to sin. Yes, all that is true. But the doctrine of our indwelling and remaining sin should humble us to never think I will never sin again. Looking at Peter as our example, let us be sober about our sin. But church, there is good news for us. That even if we can't be trusted, Jesus can. Jesus knew the disciples would desert him. Jesus knew Peter would deny him. But even if Jesus knew they would fail him, he still loved them. He still chose them to be his disciples. And that's what we're going to see more of here. Let us now zoom in on Peter's denial. We're now at point two, our Savior knew our sins. Come down with me to verse 66. Verse 66. 
And this is after Jesus has been arrested and unfairly tried. Verse 66. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know, understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. Oh, how the mighty has fallen. We all knew this was going to happen. And it's happening exactly as Jesus predicted. Jesus knew. Again, this account is written to remind us. Church, even the godliest Christian still can't be fully trusted. And that even after conversion and renewal by the Holy Spirit, we are all liable to fall into sin still. But more than that, notice this small detail. Notice how small the temptation was for Peter. The first thing that triggered his denial is a casual remark by a servant girl. She didn't intend to insult him or to pick a fight, but even the smallest remark can begin to cause the downfall of the great apostle. Peter has just said to Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. But he wasn't even with Jesus in the unfair trial. And something much lighter than death itself, it's just an innocent remark of a servant girl, even that is enough to make him disown Jesus. Church, let us remember that no temptation is too small to cause us to sin. No temptation is too small to cause us to sin. Peter's downfall should help us see how important humility is, how important daily watchfulness is, how important daily prayerfulness is. Don't make light of temptations because they seem small and insignificant. One little spark can cause a great fire. One little leak can sink a great ship. And one little temptation can bring out all the sinful tendencies from our hearts. May we be aware of our indwelling sin and guard our hearts against temptation each day. And now, let me draw your attention to the last verse in the chapter, verse 72. Verse 72. Immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus has spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Again, this is happening exactly as Jesus predicted. Jesus knew. And who can imagine Peter's feelings at this moment? Who can imagine the shame, the confusion, and the bitter remorse that must have overwhelmed him? When Peter confessed Jesus as the Christ in Mark 8, Jesus especially warned his disciples, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. But now, billows of shame wash over Peter because he was ashamed of Jesus. 
He had three chances and he still failed him. He was warned before, but he only doubled down on his own pride. He was out there ashamed of Jesus while his Lord was arrested and stands in front of an unfair court. One commentator said it well, the rock on which Christ will build his church has now turned into a pile of sand. And church, you might have heard this a hundred times. You might have even wept at your own sin, like Peter. When your habitual sin comes back, when you suddenly succumb to great temptation, the moment you realize you have sinned against your Lord who died for you, church, if that's how you have felt many, many times, and if you have felt like your Christian life is filled with sin and sorrow, then let me remind you from God's word that there is good news. And the good news for us all is that no matter how many times we have felt like Peter here, God's grace in the gospel covers all your sins. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. If you repent of your sins, forgiveness is possible through the one who is faithful, through the one who won't deny you even when you deny him, through the one whose promises will not fail. Notice this, church. When Jesus predicted his arrest, Jesus knew his disciples would desert him. And yet, he willingly walked to the cross for the very same disciples who would desert him. And when Jesus predicted Peter's denial, Jesus knew Peter would deny him three times. And yet he willingly died for the same Peter. And so in the same way, church, Jesus knew you would sin against him. Even before you were born, Jesus knew the exact sins you would commit. Whether it was something rude you said to your family yesterday, when you were ashamed to call yourself a Christian at work last week, the tax return that wasn't completely honest, the look of judgment you had on someone who isn't as privileged as you are, the envy or coveting thought from today when you came to church seeing what someone else has, or whether it was the same habitual sins that is still biting you, after many, many years, falling into a sinful spiral of porn, of alcohol, of gambling, or whether it was that one sin that you committed years ago, that one sin that still haunts you to this day, the one sin that has changed your life forever. Church, all these sins are truly grievous to the Lord. Yes, the Lord hates all the sins that you have committed. But Jesus knows all your sins. Jesus knew you would sin against him. And yet even when he knows, he still willingly died on the cross for you. All your sins, he willingly took on all your sins at the cross. That's exactly the reason why Jesus went to the cross. Jesus died to save you from your envy, from your pride, your lust, your anger, your shame, your habitual sin. 
So church, if you are plagued by the guilt of your sin, if you feel like you're at the pit of despair, if you're feeling like Peter, weeping over how you have, could have sinned against the Lord, then God says to you in the Bible, there is hope. You are not lost. Jesus knew you were going to fail him. But that's why he came to die. And having come from the perspective of the disciples and from our own perspective, let us see from the perspective of Jesus now. Let us encounter Jesus who willingly died for us. We're now at point three. Our Savior died for our sins. In point one, we talked about how all that Jesus says comes true. But those are not the only things he mentions. In Mark 14, he also predicts his death and resurrection. In fact, Jesus had been predicting this for a while now. In Mark chapter 8, 9, and 10, he actually predicted it three times already. And each time he repeats these key things. That the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests, he will be killed, and after three days he will rise again. And these predictions intensify in Mark 14. When a woman anointed Jesus at Bethany, Jesus declared in verse 8, she poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Or in the Last Supper, Jesus broke bread and took a cup, saying, This is my body, and this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. And so in Mark 14, it is clear as day that Jesus is faithful to his mission, and all that he has predicted has come true. And we have one last stop before we conclude. We will zoom in on the heart of Christ. Let's go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Come with me to verse 32. Verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. This was a crucial moment in Jesus' life. This was a moment of great emotional turmoil. Why was Jesus overwhelmed with sorrow? It was because he felt the burden of the world's sin. The entire load of sin and guilt. It was a sense of the indescribable weight of our sin that was laid upon him. You know... Those very sins we listed out just now, those very sins you thought of in your mind, those very sins he knew you would commit, the one who knew no sin was made sin for us. He was made a curse for us. He was carrying the entire weight of our guilt and sorrows. It led him to pray in verse 36, Abba, Father, Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. In Jesus, we see such a striking example of submitting to God's will. Even as he felt the pressure of a world's guilt, he still prayed, 
that not what I will, but what you will. We can't imagine any higher degree of submission than this. This is what Jesus willingly went through for our sake. To go through pain if it means we can be free from it. To give up his status if it means we can be lifted from the debts. To submit to God's wrath if it means we can be safe from the curse. The late Australian evangelist, John Chapman, he used to tell this story. He remembers when he was a kid, he used to play with a magnifying glass. And as a cheeky boy, he would use the magnifying glass in the backyard, in the sun, to light up a leaf or to light up some newspaper. And you know, he even etched his name onto the front gate. You know, when you focus all the sunlight into one point, how you bend the sunlight into such a sharp point of intensity, it can burn things. And he uses this story to say, and I quote, Now imagine an enormous magnifying glass through which was passed all punishment due for all the sins of the world. Yours, mine, the gas chambers, the genocides, wars and bombs. Imagine if we can drag it down until it reaches one person in one moment in time with such terrible intensity. Listen to the agony. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When you see this, you will realize that there was no other way. If there was any other way, God would have chosen that way. End quote. No, there was no other way. Jesus had to die. Jesus knew your sins. Jesus knew the terrible punishment for your sins. And he willingly died for you. Church, the cross was never God's plan B. You might have this preconceived notion that because things went wrong in the Garden of Eden, because Adam ate that fruit, that God quickly had to come up with a plan B. But no, the cross was not a plan B. The cross was central to God's plan of salvation and redemption. The covenant of grace that Jesus willingly went to the cross for It was instituted in eternity past to save sinners like you and me. When Jesus was in Gethsemane, he knew the weight of sin he would have to bear upon his shoulders. When Jesus chose his disciples, he knew one day they would all desert him. And yet, despite knowing all this, it didn't stop him from choosing them to be his disciples. And didn't stop him from dying on the cross for their sins. Church, this is so remarkable. We can take comfort in the fact that Jesus didn't cast us away because of our failures and imperfections. He already knows what they are. He takes us just like a husband takes his wife with all our blemishes, all our defects. He knew what we were like before we trusted in him. We were wicked, we were guilty, we were great sinners. And yet he loved us. He knew what we will be after becoming Christians. We'll be weak. We will still fail him. We will still sin. And yet he still loves us. He takes us with all our shortcomings. And he takes all of it 
to save us. Jesus knew you were going to fail him, but that's why he came to die. And as we close, I want to address two groups of people. Firstly, I want to speak to those of us in the room who are not yet Christians. Or those of us who have been to church for a while, but you are still a bit unsure about where you stand with Jesus. Let me say this. If you have never wept over your sins like Peter has here, if you've never felt regret or remorse or sorrow for your sin, then I'm not sure whether you can call yourself a Christian. A true Christian will know that sin is not only breaking God's law, but breaking God's heart. A true Christian will know how heinous sin is, and when they realize their sin, they would say, how could I have sinned against my Savior, the one who died for me? If you have never felt sorrow for sin, regretted your sin, if you have never been eager and earnest to clear yourselves, no repentance, no readiness to see justice done, then may I say to you, consider today as the day when the rooster crows. As you are listening to this sermon, the rooster is crowing right now. And what I mean is this, today is the day when God is calling you to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. Today is the day when you hear of God's warning. He knows all your sins. He knows even your unwillingness to trust in him. But today is also the day when you hear how willing is our Savior to die for sinners like you and me. He knew all our sins, and yet he willingly went to the cross. Today, do not ignore the Savior's call. Come to him, the one who knew no sin, who was made sin for you. And I also want to speak to Christians in the room. If you can identify with Peter, then let me ask you these questions. Firstly, have you been so proud to say, I will never disown Jesus? Then if you have, let me remind you that if even Peter fell, then you are not immune to it. Even the holiest Christian is still prone to sin. Don't make light of temptations because they seem small and insignificant. But let us be humble, be watchful daily, and be prayerful daily. Secondly, when you are confronted with sin, how do you respond? In godly sorrow like Peter or with indifference? Do you respond to sin with godly sorrow or with indifference? If you only repent of your sins when you've been found out, or if you only repent of your sins when you are scared you would be condemned, then your repentance may not be genuine. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Consider your repentance then, and see if you display godly sorrow that leads to salvation. Only worldly sorrow that brings death. And lastly, have you ever had moments when you can't forgive yourself or you think God can't forgive you?
If you have, then may God's word bring you comfort. That there is no sin too great that Jesus can't forgive. Jesus knew all your sins. Jesus knew all your failings. And he can forgive you. And he does forgive you if you lay them all at the foot of the cross. Dear Christian, remind yourself of the very first time you realized all of your sins are forgiven. Remind yourself of the first time you felt the weight of all your sin drop down from your shoulders. And like a big boulder rolling down the hill of your own righteousness, of your own strivings, of your own works, into the bottomless ocean of God's grace. Come to him again. Find rest in him again. Cast your burdens of your sin onto him again. And find yourselves in the bottomless ocean of God's grace again. Church, hear God's word to you today. Jesus knew you're going to fail him. But that's why he came to die. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for our Savior, Jesus. We praise you that even though we can't be trusted, Jesus can. Even though Jesus knew we would be weak in faith, we would disown him, we would sin against him, even though he knew the indescribable weight of sin, he still willingly died for us. May you bring comfort to our hearts then to know that all our sins are forgiven. Remind us of the bottomless ocean of your grace and may we know the dangers of sin. Be ever watchful and prayerful lest we fall into temptation. Watch over your saints, be gracious to us and lead us not into temptation. In Jesus' name we pray.